This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Fern Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation, here again today with another episode. Ferd Neiman, the Mobile Home Park Lawyer. Our guest today, special treat for you guys. This is going to help you save money, save lots of money on your taxes. This guy is a cost segregation expert. If you're on LinkedIn, I'm sure you know who he is. He's everywhere. He's a LinkedIn guru. He's a major people connector, networker. He's uh, got a great background, a great presenter. He's probably been on more podcasts than about anybody, but please help me welcome Yono Weiss from Weiss Advice. Okay. That was the crowd. Uh, okay. I was like, oh, I'm <laughs> mute already. I really botched this. You, you got me, man. That was good. Yona, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a pleasure. For, thanks so much for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, great. Thanks again. Well, tell us a little bit about your background and then how you got into the MHP space. I mean, I know you don't do MHP only, but you clearly, you've helped me on some of my projects on cost segregation, but uh, obviously you kind of a na- nationwide company. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my background is really in, in education, in teaching. So I was really a teacher for about 15 years. My, that's my passion still is. I mean, I have a big family, six kids. So I'm always, you know, in that mode, regardless of whether it's in a classroom setting or not. And but about five years ago, I got involved in real estate and it, that journey itself is still progressing and it's, it's taken different forms over the past several years. But one of the, one thing I kind of, just wound up a few years ago with this company, Madison Commercial Real Estate Services. So they do a number of things, one of which is cost segregation. And it kind of fit with what I, you know, what I do best, which is teaching, because I end up spending the majority of my time just educating people about this concept. So I spent a, a good deal of time learning from the experts at our company. We've been doing this for decades, you know, engineers, accountants, and just dug in really, really deep and try to simplify it for, for the masses. But, you know, I did a lot of random things in re- within real estate and uh, commercial mortgage brokering, did some fix and flips, did a little re- residential brokering. Now I'm actually working on my first deal as we speak. Nice. Uh, maybe by the time this airs, a multifamily, like a big uh, multifamily property. So that's, that's exciting. But as you see, if you're involved in real estate and you're in the world, you know, things can kind of develop and, uh, and pivot as time goes on. Great. Now, I, I know, I know you mentioned there's other folks at the firm engineers, architect, uh, engineers, accountants. So clearly there's, that's, they, they work together in cost segregation. Can you give us a, the reader's digest version of what cost segregation is for people that are not familiar with the concept? Absolutely. It's a pretty, uh, advanced form of depreciation. That's really all that cost segregation is. So you have a tax deduction. I know this is very popular in the news now, right? <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. Big, big tax deductions that the IRS allows you to take because you bought a commercial property, because you bought a investment property, you're now allowed to actually take the entire value of that building and write that off. Um, albeit over a long period of time, over a 27 and a half year period or 39 year period, that's called depreciation. And it's based on the concept that things are going down in value as time goes on. But what they don't tell you, you have to actually know a little more to dig deeper in the tax code. It says there's certain 
things in a property you buy actually depreciate at a faster rate, meaning you can write off the value of those things at a much faster, uh, at a much faster rate. So for example, and that's really what cost segregation is, is taking that cost and segregating it into different categories, things that depreciate on a five-year schedule, 15 year schedule, et cetera, that you can actually now take those tax deductions um, or tax write-offs upfront. Right, so for example, like in a mobile home park, there are a number of components. So land, for example, is not depreciable because they're not making any more of it. So you, from a ta income tax perspective, you, it would be ideal to have a lower allocation on the land. And then you've got things like mobile homes that are a residential property, 27 and a half year class life. But then you've got other stuff that are like land improvements, like what, utility lines, uh, roads, fencing. How, how does the cost segregation work with those and what, what process does your team go through to come up with a reasonable estimate? And, and obviously for our listeners too, is most business owners, we want to pay as little tax as you can, but legally, you don't want to get in trouble. You don't want to go to jail. So you need to have, you need to be audit proof. And I know you guys, I've talked to you on, on some of my projects where you've helped with that. And you guys kind of have some of that audit-proof strategies. What what can you can you expand on on that item for our for our guests? Sure. So a lot of different things going on there. But yeah, let's break down. Like you said, mobile home parks are specifically you have land. You basically have four categories when dealing with with cost segregation. You have land which does not depreciate. You have building which, if you have ten, if you have park-owned homes, those structures. Um, even though they're kind of flimsy, right? Sometimes don't say they're considered. <laughs> Okay, sometimes they can be. Um, nevertheless, they're considered 27 and a half year property. Uh, you also have uh, land improvements, as you mentioned, which are landscaping, pavement. And this is really very, very important when you're dealing with, park, uh, with parks that have no park-owned homes or little park-owned homes, and you're dealing with tenant-owned homes, which means you just own the land and the land improvements. Okay, so those land improvements depreciate on a 15-year schedule, and that allows you to take all of the value of the concrete under each home, right? And that's right. usually a majority of what you own, essentially. And all of that can depreciate on a 15-year schedule. Um, we're front-loading that. The fourth and final category is five-year property, which is personal property. And again, this will only... Uh, be relevant if you have homes and inside those homes you may have appliances you have furnishings you have carpeting things like that anything that's movable or potentially movable even though the homes themselves are, are potentially movable. but but from a tax perspective these are the um, useful lives so to speak that um, that they come on so that being said when we're dealing with mobile home parks oftentimes uh, the you know the the the, I guess, if you will, not the strategy, but more the actual procedure that we go through is have an engineer, okay? So this is someone who is not just well-versed in construction, building engineering, but also in the tax code, come and identify everything in a property, okay? How much square footage of concrete, how much square footage of fencing, what type of it is. What, and there are many different types of concrete, asphalt, pavement that are, you know, different values. Right. Now we're going to identify what all those are, how much is in each property, and what's now what's the value of those. There's a very complex calculation, which I'm not going to get into, but it has to do with, you know, not just the, the real value, but also when it was built, when it was placed in service, how much time is the real useful life versus the tax useful life. And so there's a premium sometimes um, or discount rate based on those uh, differentiations. 
now we're going to take the value come out, you know, that comes out from each of those individual assets and find the tax life. Okay. And that will allow you to now take a faster depreciation um, and essentially get faster tax deductions upfront. And you mentioned audit protection. Everything that we do is hundred percent aligned with the cost segregation audit techniques guide. So this is put out by the IRS and we do everything hundred percent compliant with that which includes a whole, you know, study with numbering system and nomenclature and a whole, you know, you know, law, right? You have to right. jump through all these hoops right. and make sure you, you, you know, dot all your I's and cross all your T's. Then you can produce this report, which has this updated depreciation schedule. Essentially, that's all you need to now go and apply that to your taxes. That's great. Yeah, as you mentioned, this is, this is complicated stuff. That's why you hire the pros, engineers, accountants lawyers all working on this together. I, I actually read those audit technique guides because I was I'm kind of paranoid about it. Don't get audited or don't anything that's going to lose an audit. If you get audited, but you're doing it right, no big deal. And I was pleased to find out everything you just said is accurate. And I remember some of the other strategies to defend an audit to be things like the buyer and the seller agree in a purchase contract what the allocation is or things like that. But the best line of defense is the, is the study you're talking about, which when I, I owned single family and duplex properties for years and I, I never paid for the study one because I had smaller assets, but I thought these studies were going to cost, you know, 25,000 bucks and it wasn't going to be worth it. You know, the, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze, but, but really these aren't that expensive and they obviously pay for themselves many times over. What, what kind of range does a cost segregation study on a mobile home park, cost somebody? Typically on the lower range, uh, you know, of types of property that we work in and we work in all asset classes, you know, from office to residential to retail, you know, you name it, but typically around four to $5,000. That's, that's what a study, you know, on a, a single property is going to cost, which again, if you're dealing with a property that you purchase for over a half a million dollars, you're already looking at at least a 10 times you know, of your, of your investment of that, of that uh, fee for the study is what you're going to get back from the tax benefit at least 10 times. Right. I, I bought a property in Missouri on, I remember it was December 21. So this is one of the key points that I want to get across on these is I only owned it for 10 days that year. We bought it for 1.3 million. We hired your company to do a cost segregation study. And I think we wrote off something like $800,000 of value for 10 days ownership. So if I'm in the 25% tax bracket, that's the equivalent of $200,000 in tax savings. It costs $4,000 for a study. Yeah, so that's, that's just was mind blowing and amazing. Uh, one, I say critique that people have, or, or really a lack of understanding would be cost recovery recapture or depreciation recapture. Can you touch on what that is and how that impacts your, your bottom line uh, upon disposition or sale? Absolutely. And then I want to go back and touch on something you said before, but um, the, the cost recovery, right? The depreciation recapture is a tax that you have to pay upon the sale of a property. Okay. Whether you're, you did cost recovery or not, you have a, a tax on top of your capital gains tax. So if you made any profit on the sale, you have to pay that capital gains tax. On top of that, you have a depreciation recapture tax, which requires you to pay a tax on the amount of depreciation took. So if you're taking a lot more depreciation up front right. with the cost segregation, you're obviously going to have to, you know, deal with, and I say right. deal with, because it doesn't necessarily mean pay, right? right? Because there are many strategies around that as well, but you have to deal with the tax that's going to come upon the sale of the property whenever you do sell that. 
Right. And one of the strategies I'm sure you're alluding to is a 1031 exchange where you, when you sell the property, if you buy a property of greater value with greater debt, greater equity, you can kind of kick the can down the road. Are there some, I think a lot of people are familiar with that. Are there some other strategies um, besides a 1031 to defer that recapture and or that capital gain that you can share? Yeah. I mean, that's obviously the most common one. As you mentioned, the 1031 exchange, you're further deferring your uh, depreciation recapture tax, but there's just a simple, not necessarily a, uh, you know, a specific strategy, but something that you have to take into consideration is that the way that conservation has the most benefit for uh, an individual is when you are not just a one trick pony. Okay. You're not just one property guy and that's it. If you're just a one property guy, you buy one and then maybe five years later you sell it, you buy another one it's gonna be more difficult to get the maximum benefit from a conservation study. It's a strategy that works best with an active real estate investor. And the strategy is to continually have, pay down, pay you know, little to no taxes, use more money, reinvest it. So one of the things that comes along with that is that by creating these extra losses, like you said, if you have $800,000 of tax deductions, likely you will not have that amount of income from your properties, which if you're a real estate professional, you can use those, you know, the income or your spouses, you can use that in those deductions to offset your other income as well. But what happens is you have these extra losses. Well, what can you do with those extra losses? One thing you can do with them is if you have a gain um, or you have a tax during that year, you can use those extra losses to offset the gains from another uh another acquisition or another uh, disposition. So that's something, again, it's not like another strategy per se, right. uh, but it is something that you can definitely use in order to lower your tax, your tax uh, bill at the end of the year. No, good points. I think those kind of net operating losses to carry them, you can carry them forward also. So you get some future years income, whether capital gain or ordinary income, if you're a real estate professional. I know when I used to work at a you know, a big law firm, I was a W-2 employee, so I didn't qualify as a real estate professional despite being a real estate attorney. So once I became self-employed in development and in mobile home parks, it gave me the opportunity to be classified as a real estate professional. Can Do you know offhand, I don't want to put you in the spot, but do you know offhand the criteria, the material, I think it's material to material participate, and is it 750 hours a year that you have to do to and, and not have a regular W-2 to become a real estate professional? Is that the main criteria? Correct. You have to either one, uh, one of a couple. So if you have either you or your spouse needs to have, yeah. like you said, spend the majority of your time materially participating in a real estate trader business, which can include, you know, operating, managing, as well as brokering. So if you're a broker, those hours spent are actually counted towards your real estate professional status. Um, and then the 750 hours a year is, uh, you know, is basically easy to do if you're working full time. Right. Okay. That makes sense. We're obviously getting into the technical. Let me yeah. get out of the, get out of the weeds for a minute because you and I will dork out on this stuff forever. I think. But and I do want to, I do want to go back to, to sure. one thing you mentioned earlier okay. that you bought a property December 21st and we're able to take a huge tax write off that year. And the way that you did that is something called bonus depreciation uh, because yes. normal depreciation is prorated to the day of the year that you purchase the property. So normally you would have only been able to take, you know, a tiny amount of depreciation right. had you done 
whether you did straight line regular depreciation or even if you did a regular cost segregation study, you'd only be able to get a certain amount for those 10 days. However, with bonus depreciation, which this is a new tax law passed a couple of years ago, allows you to take all of the accelerated depreciation, okay? And this is huge with mobile home parks. And I wanna emphasize this because more than any other asset class that I have found out there, and I deal with these a lot, I mean, say for RV parks, right? Or golf courses, which have the same, the, the same uh, you know, point of them, that the same aspect or attribute, if you will, that has the majority of land improvements. That's what mobile home parks have, is those, again, you're not owning the homes. And even the homes, they're a small amount attributed to the actual overall purchase. It's the land improvements, right? The concrete, the slabs, the, the landscaping, everything, that's what you really own. That's why you're able to take, because all that's 15-year property, it's accelerated, you could take that entire amount in year number one. So that's all with bonus depreciation. That, that I think is the special sauce. I mean, at mobile home parks, because you can take this, I, mean, I could have bought that property at 1159 on New Year's Eve and taken a massive tax write-off because of the combination of cost segregation, depreciation, and bonus depreciation. I believe the bonus depreciation is now 100%, I think since 2017, Trump tax law. And is it only, I think it goes through the end of 2025 before you, you can really utilize. So my, my goal in life, so to speak, is to build up as many passive net operating losses as I can through 2025 and not pay tax. And then 2026, okay, I'll start taking more fee income, focus more on legal fees than ownership or some combination where right now I'm not as motivated to have fees. I'm motivated to do ownership because of some of these, these strategies we're talking about. I think it's just a great combination. And, and I had an accounting background and knew some of this, but really through your your LinkedIn, your podcast, getting to know you really just uh, has driven me to spend more and more time in the tax field. And I think it's amazing. And I think it's going to be huge for, for me, yeah. for my clients, for everybody listening to this. And that's why, absolutely, that's why you're so successful, right? I can tell you know, you're an educator and I, I know that's I, my question for you. What's the best part of your job? I think I already know the answer, but it's, it's, it's teaching people how to fish, right? And that's what you're doing. Yeah, I love this. I mean, just even having these conversations, which I have, you know, every day, but on the podcast and these kind of things, it's my favorite thing to do. I really enjoy it. And for me also, the more I talk about it, the more I explain it, the more people ask questions, it kind of sharpens, you know, sharpens the saw, yeah. allows me to, to sharpen uh, that more. And if I as a question that I don't really know, I have a whole team of experts um, that I go to with all my questions and, and they're just uh, kind of clue me in and I learn a little more, a little more deeper. Got it. Now, I know the best part of your job. Do you have anything that's the worst part of your job? Uh, hopefully not this podcast. But. <laughs> not at all. This is my favorite. Um, <laughs> I, guess, I guess the worst part is, you know, with every job comes like paperwork and stuff like that. I was never really good with that, uh, <laughs> those kind of things. So I guess that, I, I mean, I do have an assistant now who, who takes care of a lot of that for me. Uh, but still, whatever I can get around, uh, I try to pass that along. Got it. You, you definitely are doing a good job. It's interesting. I see your, your educational background is history and Judaic studies. And it, then you're now you're a national cost seg expert. It's like you, that was an interesting transition, but I, I, obviously it's working out for you. So that's great. Right. It, it's really the, you know, it's the passion more than anything else. You know, the subjects, those were things that I enjoyed at that, at that time period. But if there's something I'm passionate about, I'd love to teach it. Right, right. Do you have any, I say, horror stories or you know, school of hard knocks lessons that you've learned either from your mistakes or from one of your clients' mistakes that 
you can share so that I don't make the same mistake or our, our listeners don't make the same mistake? I will mention one mistake that, um, not necessarily a mistake, but something you definitely to keep in mind, especially with mobile home parks. It's very common that you'll have something called um, goodwill right. in a mobile home park. And oftentimes that is, you know, attributed to the business or whatever. And that will even show up in your operating agreement or your, your you know, purchase sales agreement that that shows up in the contract. A certain amount of the purchase is attributed to, to that amount. Sometimes there, sometimes not. Right. I still haven't figured out, and maybe you can shed a little more light on it, you know, why certain occasions it's more or less. Um, but one thing I will say just from a tax perspective it, even though goodwill is depreciated, that amount is depreciated on a 15-year schedule. However, it's not a depreciable asset like the building and therefore uh, cannot be cost segregated, meaning you can't get the bonus depreciation from that amount. So when taking advantage of your tax benefits, you, you know, it would be ideal not to have, any, from the buyer's perspective, right. it would be ideal not to have any goodwill in the contract. Now that's good. I, I actually used to include goodwill in my contract before 2017 Trump tax law, where they, this bonus depreciation became so valuable. I'd liked to have some goodwill because one it has a 15 year amortized or depreciable life as opposed to dirt zero or improvements you know, 15 to 27 and a half or 39 for commercial. But the real reason that I like to include it back then was it doesn't show up on your transfer which means the county appraiser, my background, I used to be Jackson County here in Kansas City, Jackson County tax appraiser. Well, you, in some states, when you have a disclosure state, you have to report the sale to the county tax assessor. Well, if I could buy a million dollar piece of property and, and claim five, reasonably claim 500,000 was goodwill, that means that 500 is not included in the real estate transfer and my, my property taxes are not as likely to go up or not to go up as much. So that was the rationale to do it previously. So now I tell people you have to weigh the benefits of, well, one, what's reasonable from a property tax, what's reasonable from an income tax audit, but then how much do you want to risk your property taxes going up versus how much do you want to maximize your income tax savings? Because the, the two now conflict where they didn't as much in the past. Uh, but the reality is there, I think there is a goodwill in mobile home parks. I know I bought a mobile home park, it was like a million two and it was 10 acres of dirt. And this was in Midwest with, you know, good car, good corn ground, good corn ground is 10 to 11,000 an acre. I said, okay, 10 acres of corn is a hundred thousand. I'm paying a million two. I'm either the dumbest guy in town or I'm buying something different than dirt. I'm buying an operating business. I'm buying clientele. Mm -hmm. I'm buying going concern, goodwill, a permit, which is crucially important in mobile home parks because you can't get any more of them. So I'm buying an operation, just like if I was to buy McDonald's a franchise. I'm not buying a you know six thousand foot building. I'm buying the franchise, goodwill, the systems, all that. You're paying a premium for the operation, so it's it's real. I think it's defensible to either a county appraiser or to an income tax audit. But there's often a subjective nature to the allocation and a negotiation to it. So anyway, that's I, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I I definitely see where that's a mistake from an income tax perspective, but uh, globally, it, you know, it all depends, right? It, it all depends on the fact pattern. So that's, that's definitely uh, next level advice. So thank you uh, for the, the wise advice comment that uh, only you can provide, I think. Yona, is there anything else before we break um, you want to talk about? And I want you to tell everybody where they can find you as if, as if it's not obvious that you're everywhere, but how do, how do we get a hold of you? How do we find, where can we find your podcast? And then uh, any other, any other words of wisdom before we part? 
Uh, like you said, I'm probably the most active person on LinkedIn besides for, uh, you know, LinkedIn themselves. But I'm, a, um, you, know, you can find me there. You can go to yonawice.com. Uh, you can check out, you know, a link to my podcast there or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And Madison Specs is our company. We're the largest national uh, conservation company servicing all 50 states. So I'm happy to, uh, you know, help anyone with that if anyone wants a free estimate on any property, that's you know, a great way to educate yourself a little more to see if it even makes sense for your situation. All right, great, Yona, appreciate it, thank you. My pleasure, thanks so much, Ferd. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.